Our Heavenly Father, we are very thankful, Father, for another day of life on this good earth that you've created. We're thankful, Father, for your word that is inspired by your Holy Spirit and that leads us and guides us in the ways of righteousness. Father, we pray that you will bless this study as we continue studying the, about the geography that the Holy Spirit has revealed for us in the word. We're thankful, Father, that we can look into these things and glean practical lessons from the life of Jesus and other servants of yours, Father. We pray that you will bless this study. Help us, Father, always take every part of your word very seriously and most importantly, always make application that can help us be good disciples of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the eighth lesson in our series of lessons that we've entitled Jesus Walks. In this series of lessons we've been engaged in over the past few weeks, we've been looking at some of the places that Jesus traveled to that he preached in when he was here on this earth. In fact, most of the places that we have been looking at have been places that are mentioned frequently throughout the New Testament. Back in 2015, when I was able to travel to the land of Israel, I was able to visit many of the places, many of the towns and cities that are mentioned throughout the New Testament. And these places we have looked at in our previous classes are Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum was Jesus' residence. That was his town that he lived in when, when he began his ministry at 30 years old. That was his base of operations. We've looked at Nazareth. Remember, that was the town that Jesus was raised in. We have studied Bethlehem. That is the town that Jesus was born in. We looked at Magdala, Bethsaida, the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and many other places. All of these places are places that are tied to Jesus in some way. All of these places are places that we can read about throughout the gospel. So in our previous classes up to this point, we've been studying places that have, prior, that have primarily been mentioned in the New Testament. But in this class, I want to transition I'm talking with you about places that we can read about in the New Testament, and I want to talk with you about some places that we can also read about in the Old Testament. In this video, I want to talk with you about some of the places that Jesus traveled to that are also significant to what we find in the Old Testament scriptures. And the first place I want to talk with you about in this class is Jericho. Jericho, do you by any chance remember where Jericho is mentioned in the Bible? Do you by any chance remember where Jericho was mentioned in the Old Testament? For those of you who grew up going to Bible classes, as a small child, I'm pretty sure that when you hear the name Jericho, there is a story from the Bible that immediately pops into your mind. I'm pretty sure that you are familiar with the fact that Jericho, according to what the Bible tells us, was the first city Israel conquered after crossing over to the west side of the Jordan River. 
If you remember, after sending some men in to spy out the city of Jericho, and after miraculously crossing the Jordan River, by the power of God, the Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 2 that God told the people to begin their conquest of Canaan by first conquering the well-fortified city of Jericho. When we move over to Joshua chapter 6, we find God giving his people instructions to march, to march around the well-fortified walls of Jericho once a day for six straight days and then seven times on the seventh day. God told them to do these very specific things and then after they marched around the wall a seventh time on the seventh day, those walls would miraculously crumble. They would miraculously come falling down. And the people of Israel would then be able to take possession of the city. The people of Israel would then be able to conquer one of the strongest cities in all of Canaan. In fact, this moment, the conquering of the city of Jericho, would actually begin a seven-year conquest of Israel taking possession of the promised land. Story of Israel conquering the land of Canaan after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It actually all started with the events that took place in Jericho. Jericho was the first city that Israel conquered after crossing over to the west side of the Jordan River. And I'm pretty sure that most of you are familiar with that story. I'm pretty sure that most of you grew up in Bible classes from the time you were a small child learning that story. But if you don't mind, for the next few minutes, I want to just give you some additional background facts about the city of Jericho. You see, in addition to knowing and understanding that Jericho was the first city that God's people conquered after crossing over to the, over to the west side of the Jordan River, Another thing we need to know about Jericho that is pretty interesting is Jericho is called the oldest city in the world today. It is actually called the oldest continually inhabited city in the world. It, is, it has the lowest elevation of any city on earth. It is only 840 feet above sea level. It is the home to 20,000 people today. 20,000 people live in what is called the oldest continually inhabited city in the world. In fact, something that is very interesting about Jericho is from Jericho, from Tel Jericho, that is when you go to the ruins of the ancient city, the city of the time of Joshua, you can easily see the Jordan River to the east. And beyond it, you can also see the plain of Moab, where the Moabites would have dwelt. And you can even see Mount Nebo. Remember, Mount Nebo was as far as Moses got to go in his journey with Israel. Due to a time when he disobeyed God, God 
promised him that he would not be able to go into all of the land of Canaan with the rest of Israel. He would not be able to enter into the land. The best Moses got to do was to see the land on the west of the Jordan River. He got to see it from Mount Nebo. He got to see the land from Mount Nebo that flowed with milk and honey. Not long after being able to see the land, he died and God buried his body in a place where no man knows. From Tel Jericho, from the ruins of the ancient city, you were able to see across the Jordan River. You were able to see Mount Nebo, where Moses was able to get a good view of the promised land. You were able to see the plain of Moab. This is interesting to point out because that means that during the time of Joshua, during the time when the 40 years of wandering was finally completed, Israel could have seen Jericho across the Jordan River. And not only could Israel have clearly been able to see Jericho with his high walls, but Rahab, remember Rahab was the harlot who had faith in God. She was a citizen of the city of Jericho, and she hid the spies that were sent from the Israelite camp. She hid the spies of Israel, and because of her great act of faith, because she believed in the one true God, she was spared the judgment of God that would come upon the city of Jericho. She was actually incorporated into the Israelite, into the Israelite family. She's actually even part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so, during the time of Joshua, Israel could have easily have seen Jericho, even though they were on the other side of the Jordan. They still could have looked across the Jordan River and seen the city. And Rahab and all the city citizens of Jericho could have easily seen the Israelites camped out on the other side of the Jordan River. And so I want you to think about that in a very practical way. When you think about that practically, Imagine you are a citizen of Jericho and you look out across the Jordan River and you see all of these Israelites camped out across the Jordan River. And you've heard stories about the Israelites. You've heard about how they have conquered territory on the other side of the Jordan River. And, and, and then you, you also see one day where God miraculously, the Jordan River is miraculously parted for them to cross over. These people who have this reputation of conquering folks on the other side of the Jordan River. And these people who you've heard serve a God that delivered them from the superpower of the world at that time, the people of Egypt, these people who serve a God who brought plagues upon the Egyptians and totally crippled their kingdom and even killed the Pharaoh, these Israelites whom you see one day miraculously coming across the Jordan River, you can see these people on a daily basis. Can you imagine the fear that the people of Jericho had when they looked across the Jordan River and saw the Israelites? These, the people of Jericho, no doubt, were totally terrified of the Israelites because they had heard about their God. 
They had heard about what their God had done to the Egyptians. They had heard about what their God was doing for them when it came to their enemies on the other side of the Jordan River. They saw the power of their God when they witnessed the Israelites miraculously coming across the Jordan River. When you look, think of this in a practical way, then you can understand why Rahab has so much faith. Then you can understand why Rahab is risking her life to hide the spies. She's heard about the God of the Israelites. She has seen God's power, especially when she saw God's people come across the Jordan River. Israel could see Jericho across the Jordan, and Rahab and the people of Jericho could, could see them. And believe me, out of these two groups, the one that was terrified were the people of Jericho. They were absolutely terrified when they saw Israel come across the Jordan, and they were terrified when they saw them marching around their walls for seven straight days. When it came to Jericho, as I said a few minutes ago, Jericho was a well-fortified city. In fact, they trusted in two great defenses to protect them from the Israelites. And that is the Jordan River. The Jordan River was one of the natural barriers and protectors for the people of Jericho. As long as Israel stayed on the other side of the Jordan, Jericho felt a whole lot better about their situation. But again, imagine how they felt when they saw Israel miraculously coming across it, as the Bible tells us took place. The Jordan River served as one of their defenses, but not just that. Their tall walls also served as another defense. And what does that mean? Well, that means when you stop and think about what took place, God tore down both of Jericho's defenses. He broke through both of their defenses by his power by miraculously stopping the Jordan River and enabling his people to cross over and by bringing down the walls miraculously after Israel marched around them once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day by God stopping the Jordan River miraculously and bringing down the walls of Jericho miraculously God himself, not Israel, God himself tore down both of Jericho's defenses. Both of these barriers were torn down by God so that his people could experience victory. God brought down the city of Jericho, but history also tells us, both the Bible and archaeology show us, that this city has been destroyed and rebuilt multiple times. Beyond the account we can read about in the scriptures, there have been numerous times throughout history where the city has been destroyed and rebuilt multiple times. And as far as the New Testament goes, in Jesus and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the New Testament tells us about how when the Lord was on his way to Jerusalem one last time before he would be betrayed by Judas and crucified on a cross, on his way to Jerusalem, he actually passed through Jericho. He passed through the city of Jericho, and as he passed through Jericho, if you remember what the scripture says in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, he encountered a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus was not well respected by the Jews who lived in the city of Jericho. Zacchaeus was so eager to see Jesus that he climbed into a sycamore tree and Jesus noticed him in the tree and he told him to come down from the tree because he said, Zacchaeus, I must stay with you in your house. During a time when Zacchaeus was an outcast in his society because he was a chief tax collectors and tax collectors were not viewed with respect by the Jews. During a time when he was rejected by his own people, the Jewish people, Jesus accepted Zacchaeus. Jesus gave time and attention to Zacchaeus. He invited himself into Zacchaeus' home because he wanted to bless him with the wonderful gift of salvation. Zacchaeus lived in Jericho. And Luke 19 tells us that Jesus spent some time in Zacchaeus' home in Jericho. Now here are some pictures of what I was able to see in Jericho. This right here is Tel Jericho. This is the ruins of the ancient city. As you can see, it is nothing but ruins. The ancient city of Jericho has never been, been able to be rebuilt. From this city, you see a, a great view of the Jordan River, Mount Nebo, the plains of Moab. Uh, this is a picture of me and some friends of mine. We are in the ruins of the ancient city. Uh, several archaeological discoveries have been made Again, part of that includes noticing how this city has been destroyed and rebuilt multiple times throughout history, just like the Bible tells us. Now, when you look out there, you see the difference between the modern part of Jericho and the ancient part. Again, 20,000 people live in Jericho, and if you look clearly, uh, carefully in the picture, you see the homes and, and the businesses and things like that. That out there that you see is, is where the inhabitants are today. This is the view from Tel Jericho. What you see here across these hills or mountains would be AI. And do you remember what's significant about AI? We had a lesson on the events that occurred in AI a few weeks ago at the Monte Vista Church of Christ. Remember, AI was the next place that God wanted Israel to conquer after they had conquered Jericho. After conquering Jericho, Joshua sent some men over the hills into AI, across those hills there, there but they were defeated when they went across. They came running back, and the reason why they were defeated was because God's presence had left them because a man named, man named Achan had taken some spoils of war from the city of, from the battle against Jericho that he was not supposed to have. And so until they dealt with Achan and his sin, God was not going to bless Israel to experience victory over the hills against the people of Ai. So... I'm in Jericho taking this picture, and if you are looking at this from Israel's perspective, the next place they go is Ai. They travel up and above the hills to take down the next group of people. A very, 
a much smaller and insignificant city. One more thing I want to show you here is this tree. Do you recognize what kind of tree that is? That right there is a sycamore tree. That is a sycamore tree in the city of Jericho. What makes that significant? Well, I told you just a few minutes ago. Zacchaeus climbed up in a sycamore tree in Jericho to see Jesus. This, would, this is a, a sycamore tree. This is the kind of tree that, Jer that, that, that Zacchaeus, I'm sorry, climbed into to see Jesus. This is taken in the city of Jericho. Now, one more thing I want to talk with you about, and then that's going to be our study, is the Jordan River. I've talked with you about Jericho, what I saw in Jericho and its significance. Now I want to talk with you about another place that starts with a J, and it's the Jordan River. The Jordan River. You see, like the city of Jericho, the Jordan River is also mentioned in both the Old and the New Testaments. As far as the Old Testament goes, going back to Joshua 3 and 4, the Bible says that the Jordan River was the river that Israel miraculously crossed over prior to their conquering of the city of Jericho. In the Old Testament, we also learn in 2 Kings chapter 5 that Naaman, the Syrian, a Gentile man, was blessed by God to be healed of his leprosy when he dipped seven times in the Jordan River. Remember, Naaman did not want to dip in the Jordan River because it was a filthy river, but unless he did exactly what God said, he was not going to be healed. And so once he finally submitted to the will of God, and once he dipped seven, not five or six, seven times in the dirty, filthy Jordan River, only then was he cleansed of his terrible skin disease. As far as the Jordan's River's significance in the New Testament goes, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, the Bible tells us that Jesus, Jesus was baptized somewhere in the Jordan River. John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. Jesus says that he needed to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And after he came up out of the water, the scripture says that at that moment, during, this, during these events, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, and God the Father spoke directly out of heaven, saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Those grand events took place somewhere along the Jordan River. Other facts I want to say about the Jordan River include understanding that the Jordan River is one of the most sacred rivers in the world today. It is a sacred river, even though it is still a very filthy and polluted river. It is still a sacred river because it is where Jesus was baptized. He was baptized somewhere along this river. The Jordan River actually runs over 150 miles. 60 miles of the river, though, runs between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the Jordan River's final destination. The Dead Sea is actually the lowest elevation on the earth. I was able to get into the Dead Sea when I was in Israel, and at some point I'll show you some pictures of that. That was a neat experience. Uh, I'll just say uh, that if you ever get into the Dead Sea, 
be ready to take a shower right after you get out. It is basically like getting into a pool of, of car oil. Uh, it is filthy. It is very salty. Please don't shave before you get into the Dead Sea. Otherwise, you will burn up. But the Dead Sea is the lowest elevation on the earth. And the Jordan River, its final stop is the Dead Sea. Now, before the modern nations of Israel and Jordan began diverting water for irrigation, the Jordan River averaged 100 feet in width with a depth of 3 to 10 feet. Winter rains would cause the river to swell to a mile wide in some places. The water level is shallow, and the river is very narrow today. I mean, it's, it's very, very, very small. It looks like a stagnant, muddy creek in many places. When God backed up the river for Israel to cross, going back to Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4, the scripture says he stopped the waters 18 miles at a place called Adam. That created a wide path for the Israelites to cross the riverbed into Canaan. And again, imagine living in the city of Jericho and you see this grand event taking place. Can you imagine the fear that would have been in those people's hearts? The Jordan River serves as the current boundary line between Israel and Jordan. It is lined with military checkpoints, fences, and surveillance outposts. One more thing I want to share with you is the fact that a row with bridges circles the Sea of Galilee and from that, one can cross the Jordan River on both the north and south ends of the Sea of Galilee. Now, here are just a few pictures I want to show you, then we're going to wrap up this video. A few pictures I want to show you of the Jordan River. Uh, notice how people are very eager, and this was one of the things that really stood out to me, is just how eager many people are to, to see the Jordan River. And much of it has to do with, with the fact that Jesus was baptized somewhere along this river. Notice carefully how just filthy and just polluted the river is. Do you see that? Let me tell you something. You wouldn't want to put your feet, at least I wouldn't, you wouldn't want to put your feet in this water for 10 minutes, let alone swim or drink from it. This is a filthy Filthy river. If this, if this is the way the river looked in the time of Naaman, <laughs> maybe to a degree I can understand why he wouldn't want to dip in it. It is a, a, a filthy river today, and, and much of that is because of sewage uh, and just pollution and things like that. It, again, flows 60, 60 miles. There's a 60-mile flow between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, where its final destination is. And even though it is a filthy river, there are still a lot of people who want to get baptized in it. Celebrities come here to get baptized in it. I, was, I think I came across a story uh, a few years ago that said uh, Whitney Houston and Bobby Brown made a, a special trip uh, here to get baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, so even famous people, singers, entertainers, actors, actresses, they want to get baptized in the Jordan River. This lady here is, 
getting immersed in the Jordan River. This is me taking a picture of somebody getting baptized in the Jordan River. But notice what's interesting about this baptism. Do you see something missing here? Okay, we, we, we got a, a person. We got a believer. I'm going to assume she's a believer in Jesus. We got enough water to immerse her in. Doesn't matter if it's the Jordan River or some other river. As long as you got enough water to immerse, okay, we're, we're doing fine. But there's something missing here. Do you see what's missing? Notice how you got a baptized E, but you don't have a baptizer. You don't have somebody baptizing this lady. This lady's baptizing herself. And the last time I checked, that's not the biblical model to follow. Matthew 28. 19, Jesus told his people to go into all the world, make disciples of the nations, baptizing them. Disciples have a responsibility to baptize people who confess Jesus as Lord for the remission of their sins. Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. After hearing the gospel, the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, he said to Philip, look, there is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Verse 37, and the eunuch said, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop and Philip, as well as the eunuch. They both got into the water and Philip baptized him. The eunuch didn't baptize himself. Philip baptized the eunuch in the water and the eunuch then got up rejoicing. When you study the Bible very carefully, you see that for Bible baptism to take place, you need a baptizee. You need a person who believes in Jesus and is repenting of their sins and has made a confession that Jesus is Lord. And you also need a baptizer. You need somebody to immerse the person in for the forgiveness of sins. You don't have that here. So that was kind of weird. Uh, while this woman's heart may have been in the right place, uh, she's missing a baptizer. There's no baptizer present in the water with here on this in the water with her here on this occasion but if you thought that was kind of or very unscriptural check this next one out you know this lady the lady you just saw in the previous picture at least she had enough sense to realize that baptism is immersion these people didn't realize that evidently they, they didn't get that memo here in this picture you see that even though you got enough water in the Jordan River to immerse people in this preacher or priest or whatever he is he is pouring water on people's heads he's not immersing people instead he is pouring water on people's heads he's taking the water out of the jordan river loading it up in a bottle and then pouring it on people's heads is that bible baptism oh no that's not bible baptism that, that doesn't fit what what we find in acts 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, we don't find the eunuch having water poured or even sprinkled on his head and that being called baptism. Instead, the Bible says that Philip and the eunuch both got into the water, and the implication of that is Philip immersed this man. He brought him down into the water, and when the eunuch came up out of the water, the Bible says he went on his way rejoicing. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, Paul there describes baptism as a burial. The idea of burial means immersion. He says that we are immersed or buried into the death of Jesus Christ. And even in the case of Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 3, 
Verses 13 through 17, there we don't find Jesus having water poured or sprinkled on his head by John the Baptist. Instead, the Bible says that Jesus came up out of the water. For him to come up out of the water, the implication of that is he first had to go into the water. That's Bible baptism throughout the New Testament. Never in the New Testament will you find someone having water poured or sprinkled on their heads and that being called baptism. These people may think they were getting baptized at the Jordan River, but all they did was get a little wet. All they did was engage in an unscriptural practice. Bible baptism is immersion. It is a burial. We learned that in Romans 6, Acts chapter 8, Matthew chapter 3. It's all over the place. These people did not do that. So while their hearts may have been thinking they were doing some holy and right, the practice was unscriptural. The practice was not authorized by heaven. But what I just want you to see is the Jordan River is a busy river. There's a busy river because people come there to get baptized because they see significance in their minds in doing that because Jesus was baptized there. And while there is nothing wrong with getting baptized in the Jordan River, Make sure you at least do it right. Make sure that you do, do it the Bible way. Have someone there to baptize you. Before you get baptized, make sure you have faith in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth. And then allow the person who is with you to immerse you, take you under the water, and bring you up out of the water. Only then will you be following the biblical, the biblical model, the biblical teaching. So those are some things I wanted to share with you in regards to what I saw in Jericho and at the Jordan River. And the main thing I want you to take away this evening is all of these places you're reading about in the Bible. And here's really the main thing I'm trying to emphasize with all these classes. I'm trying to help strengthen, strengthen people's faith. I'm trying to help strengthen disciples' faith. I'm trying to help just demonstrate how these places we're reading about in the Bible, whether it is the cities around Galilee, or the city of Jericho, or even the Jordan River, these are real places. These are real places that you can visit today. Jesus literally, as God in the flesh, walked on this earth. It is important that we pay close attention to that. It is important as people who are removed from these events by 2,000 years, it is important that we just don't blitz through the geography that we understand that the Holy Spirit never uses any unnecessary words. If he's given us geography in the scripture, he's given it to us for a reason. We need to pay close attention to it. We need to get a map and find out where these places are and, and, and try to really understand why they are being called out by the Spirit. And so I hope you're able to really appreciate that from these classes. Now, in our next study, I want to continue talking with you about some of the places that are found in the Old Testament that I was blessed to see when I traveled to Israel back in 2015. The next places I want to talk with you about are places that are not so much related to Jesus as they are related to King, to King David and some other great Old Testament characters. In our next study, I want to talk with you about two valleys, two significant valleys 
that are mentioned in the Old Testament. One is called the Sorek Valley, and the other is called the Valley of Eli. Until now, and the next time we are able to have a study, see if you can do some research and figure out the significance of the Sorek Valley and the Valley of Eli. We will study that, Lord willing, in a few days. But thank you for studying with me tonight.